are listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. Ali Maxwell and George Ellick, we cover the EFL, you know that by now. For the second week in a row, we are just deviating slightly from the norm. We wanted to open the floor up to you, the listeners. You have been sending in your questions for the last 24, 36 hours. And of course, there are some absolute bangers. We've got serious questions. We've got um, newsy ones. We've got opinion questions. We've got some whimsy at the end. Uh, and George and I are very excited to get stuck into it. We're going to start with, I guess, the, the breaking news. Um, the, the question from Lachlan was, after realising that George may not have a bias against Reading, I would like to know who he thinks would be the best manager to appoint with our current situation. Now, whatever George's answer was going to be to this question, it probably wasn't Mark Bowen to become head coach, was it? Yeah, when you look at the plethora of, of good attacking managers who would fit um, the profile of, of what Reading need to get the best out of their players who are currently out of work, who are within the, the wage structure, I guess, at Reading. Um, Mark Bowen... Chuck me some names. Go Mark on. Bowen isn't the one that, that would stand out. I mean, annoyingly, the one that I think would be a good fit is probably the only one who would be more unlikely than, than Mark Bowen, and that's Nigel Adkins, who, of course, had a, had a pretty... Um, horrific spell as manager of Reading, a, a spell that was so bad that it, it made people question whether or not his achievements up to that point were, were something of a fluke um, at, at Scunthorpe and then Southampton. Um, but since then, of course, he went to Hull, where last season he, he did a job, I guess, that's very similar to, to the job that's needed now at Reading, where it's an underperforming team. It's a team who don't want to be near the relegation zone, but, but currently are. A team with a lot of attacking talent who, who then he needs to be brought through with whilst maintaining some defensive responsibility. Of course, Adkins responsible for bringing through, well, not bringing through, but but turning Jared Bowen into the player that he is with that season, last season. And you feel like some of the players on the books at Reading, the likes of Swift, the likes of, of Ajaria, even of, of Puskas, these guys are, are players who need to come on a bit more in terms of their output. So he's someone I'd, I'd have liked to have seen, but as I say, I'm totally aware it was never going to happen. There, there might be people listening just quickly to butt in who might not actually know the situation. So Mark Bowen has, has just before we started recording, been appointed manager. And he his previous role was that of sporting director at Reading. So he's come in in, in the last year or so. Um, suggestions that his arrival coincided with um, Gomez getting a little bit more help towards the start of his tenure and um, uh, uh, we actually got a tweet from Paul saying a lot of what we did well last year under Gomez coincided with Bowen joining as a consultant quite hard to quantify that isn't it really given that he, he was just in a consultancy role but Paul says we look more solid and I think he was more important than we realised so um, he's clearly impressed the club but the fans are absolutely ticking at this yeah, aren't and, they? And, and it's going to annoy people again this but and not as much as, as me suggesting the only manager who'd have been a least popular appointment than, um, than than Bowen. But in the press release from the club, they're quick to point out that Bowen had a big influence in the turnaround of fortunes at the back end of last season. A key reason why in, in this summer and before the season started, I wasn't convinced by Jose Gomez was because I'm not convinced that Reading were actually any good at the back end of last season. And it feels like with this appointment, they are trying to reach back to something that maybe didn't actually exist. Those results happened. They kept Reading up. But I'm not convinced in any way that there was an upturn in form. I don't think there is anything to tap into here that they can re-find or resurrect that that spirit or form of last season. I don't think it really existed. Um, so in bringing Bowen in, someone who has been at the club over this period of, of, of malaise, over this period of, of poor results. I mean, the only thing I would say is that, is that some of the, there have been signs at times this season that things have improved. But he's a guy with very little, well, he's got no managerial experience. He's not particularly popular um, at the clubs he's been at before. You can counteract any achievements he's had before with, I mean, Mark Hughes may not be a very popular person, especially at Southampton at the moment, but he is someone who's achieved decent success in the past as a manager. He's someone who's, who's you know, for a reason, um, got the job at Man City at one stage as well. So Bowen's on his own now, um, as far as we know, and there's not much evidence to suggest that this is um, a good trade to have made. Yeah, not that my opinion really matters, but I would have liked to have seen them stick with Jose Gomez. You, you never know exactly how much things have deteriorated behind the scenes. And of course, it's within the club's best interest when they fire someone to, to sort of play that up. Um, but I just didn't see the performances being as horrendous as perhaps they might have looked uh, in terms of results on paper. Uh, and as anyone who's listened for a long time know, you know, we, we do actually put 
um, a lot of emphasis on, on what the performances are rather than just the results. Now, they do have some tough fixtures coming up. So I did say, I think on Sky a few weeks ago, that it might get worse before it gets better. Now, now that turns into, gosh, doesn't Bowen have such a tough start in terms of fixtures? But also, you, you get the feeling that the fans are so unhappy with how this is played out. The very fact that a sporting director, um, which is a role that takes on different meaning at different clubs, but which almost always is the man who basically manages and runs the, the mid to long term vision for a football club on the footballing side. That means working with the manager, of course, to support the manager. Uh, and, and that's pretty crucial to why the Reading fans are unhappy that this man is now being appointed manager. But it's also in terms of, of, of implementing a style uh, in the transfer market, but on the pitch as well. Uh, and it'd be interesting to, to hear if they ever were transparent about it what Bowen's been doing in that sporting director role that has let has led someone in the club to go, do you know what, instead of just overseeing it all and, and having a manager beneath you, try and do it all yourself. Um, you know, highly rated as a coach, but a very, very tough job and, and something that's raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, another question on a vacancy, George, it came from James. Sunderland managerial candidates, how many do you consider an upgrade on Jack Ross? Which ones might actually get Sunderland playing the attacking football. Our squad should be capable. Emphasis on should. Just to run the listeners through uh, the candidates, or at least who the bookies have at the moment. Um, Phil Parkinson, very short favourite. Nigel Pearson, perhaps in cahoots with Kevin Phillips as assistant, is mooted. Uh, Daniel Stendhal, of course, just left Barnsley. And Gareth Ainsworth and Paul Cook, the other names mentioned. I think you intimated to me earlier that this is something you feel quite strong about. Quite strongly yeah, about, I mean, I looking say. at the <clears throat> looking at the the upgrade, I, I, I would find it impossible for anyone argue to argue that Parkinson, Pearson, Ainsworth, uh, Cook, and Stendhal aren't all upgrades. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that they've all achieved promotions. Um, Ainsworth is the only one of that out of that list uh, not to have achieved a, pro, a promotion at League One or a higher level. So purely for that reason, I mean, Jack Ross came in with with Scottish pedigree which doesn't always translate across and it's fair to say that in this occasion it, it didn't um Ainsworth is probably the one that people would would argue that their records are similar but what you know Gareth Ainsworth with a fraction of what uh, Jack Ross has got at Sunderland has already made Wickham into a better team so <laughs> I think quite clearly there um, they've been given different um tools to work with and, and Ainsworth's done a better job what I would say two things firstly on Parkinson it, it's very hard. I mean, I I took to to Twitter this weekend to to defend Gareth Ainsworth in the in the face of a lot of Sunderland fans, quite I guess quite arrogantly, um, suggesting that he was an appointment beneath them, um, and a lot of people saying they didn't like the kind of football he played, kind of not really taking into context what he did at Wickham, the the fact that Wickham are where they are, given the you know financial instability at the club as well that he's had to work under, is nothing short of a miracle, and so him if he were to get Sunderland promoted this season having taken over now it would rank nowhere near his top achievements as a manager so far in his career in terms of, of upsetting the odds one particular exchange made me laugh where I said he's improved Wickham year on year and then constantly uh, and had them constantly outperforming their size and budget he's a great man manager who I have no doubt would galvanize his underperforming squad and would set the team up to get the strikers into scoring positions a reply from a Sunderland fan no not for me not one bit <laughs> I say none of that appeal not one bit. Is it the on pitch? Is it the on pitch success or the good man management that's putting you off more? No reply. And I think that kind of sums up my next point in Nigel Pearson being a better fit in that he is almost the embodiment, I think, of Sunderland as a football team at the moment. He is someone who is incredibly cocksure and incredibly, you know, he he stands up for what he believes in. He's a big guy and, a, and an intimidating guy. And maybe in that sense, he's you know he's someone who's managed in the Premier League. He's someone who, when he was in the Premier League, didn't shrink in, in the face of media scrutiny. He got that Leicester team. It seems to me it's always the, the, one of the forgotten best mm, teams definitely. in the Championship era, the, the Leicester team that he got promoted out of there. So in that sense, whilst I'd like to see Ainsworth get the job, I think that Pearson is, is the manager who would fit in to the whole ethos. That we saw what Simon Grayson in, in, the, um, in the Netflix series he was someone who was just too nice for the job. He was too polite. And then Coleman came in and it was a similar story where he wasn't quite abrasive enough, enough maybe. And I think that Pearson could be the manager to get that that you know that cockiness back and the arrogance back, but in a successful manner 
Um, Definitely in terms of, of, of buying him maybe a, a bit more time than the rest as well. If, if Kevin Phillips was to come in with him, you know, even just from a purely PR perspective, that, you know, that looks like it could be quite a smart move because that's the sort of thing that would galvanise the fans, uh, certainly in the short term. Um, what about the situation at South End? Uh, when I ask people to send in uh, thoughtful topics or questions, uh, Peter, who I think is a South End fan, just wrote the word Larson. Uh, which I really agree, uh, I really enjoyed, straight to the point. Um, the suggestion is, or rather the suggestion from the chairman of Southend was that next week, or rather this week, will be the time that Southend appoint a new manager. Um, later on this week, he hasn't said who it is, obviously. The, the suggestion is it's between Sol Campbell and Henrik Larsson, with local journalists leaning towards Henrik Larsson at this stage. It's an interesting situation for a couple of reasons. And George, one of them is, it's been over five weeks now since they sacked Kevin Bond, who had overseen a, a horrendous start to the season that has not changed at all since uh, Gary Waddock has been interim manager. They're a club that desperately needs results in order to avoid basically essentially being relegated by Christmas because they've got some really tough fixtures coming up. Uh, and into the breach might be stepping Henrik Larsson, I guess the question that Peter wants to know is what we think about his potential appointment at South End, uh, and there's a little wrinkle as well that we can a little mini grenade, if you will, that we can chuck into the conversation too. Yeah, I mean, for for those of you who who don't um, subscribe to the Athletic, the Athletic sponsor us, and there was a fantastic article written by David Ornstein uh, earlier last week, which outlined a bid um, from including a, you know a consortium, I guess, including Henrik Larsson and including Dirk Kaut, who's been muted to be involved in this um, in this story at Southend, saying that they were involved in a consortium to try and buy Wickham. With in, Dennis Burkamp with, and Ronald Koeman as an advisor. Indeed. Um, and someone else, I think, as well. Um, but I can't remember who was a keeper, maybe. Anyway, and um, they they were involved in, in a takeover bid at Wickham. Um, and for whatever reason, to, they got quite far down the line and Wickham decided to, to go with Rob Kuig. Um, who is still in the process of trying to buy the club. But Ornstein goes on to say in the athletic piece that the consortium, the group of footballers, are still very keen on buying a club. They want it to be a club near London, um, which they want to make into a a place where basically retiring footballers, retiring top-tier footballers can go, whilst also building an academy um, that will rival the best. So it seems to me... It's an astonishing prospect, this, isn't it? it is. I mean, it's, it's like something out of a video game. You know, and I sent, I sent it to you as soon as I read it. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday last week, just saying, this is quite crazy. Um, I wonder who they're going to look at next. So putting two and two together and possibly getting 22, but maybe not, it looks to me, the fact that Larson's been so publicly at these games, the fact that it's now being reported that Dirk Kout's involved as well, the fact it would be strange the, the if fact that, that was completely separate from uh, but, but what Ornstein was writing about. Exactly, and also the Sol, the Sol Campbell rumours don't go away. I mean, it's feasible that, given that Ainsworth was going to stay as the manager, is it feasible that Campbell could be just be the figurehead for this new consortium as well? So Larson could be coming, getting involved as an investor. There's nothing at the moment suggesting anywhere that, that the South End owner is about to sell, but it would be bizarre, given what we know through the athletic piece, if there wasn't a little bit more to this than purely Henrik Larsson and Dirk Kaut taking over as managers of, of Southend. It's very, very interesting. I, I, I guess what should be pointed out is that there's, there's obviously excitement at the names being involved, but I think there has to be a little bit of cynicism here, right, George? Like, they retain, writes David Ornstein, a long-held ambition uh, of becoming the first set of leading former players to purchase a football league club. Long-held ambition, okay, possibly. They want to personally work there on a day-to-day basis. Brilliant, and I will certainly believe it, but probably when I see it. They committed funds and can access further private equity. I don't doubt that uh, for, for a second. They intend to wipe out all debts, writes Ornstein, cover running costs, and use their expertise, experience, and contacts to help Wickham grow organically towards self-sufficiency and success. I mean, it all sounds amazing. Obviously, we know in the case of Wickham that they weren't the... Uh, group or persons that that were ultimately chosen to take Wickham forward. There's a big vote this week and Rob Kuig, an American businessman, is the man who looks like he might be voted in to, to take a, a majority shareholding in Wickham. So they weren't picked there. Um, for what reason, we're not entirely clear, but it is suggested that 
Burkamp and co are waiting in the wings, ready and determined to carry through their bold aspiration. Um, you know, there's there's the sort of thing we want to talk about, and it's the sort of thing that we'll never know if it's a good or a bad idea whether we see it. In terms of Larson being appointed manager, let's say, of Southend and Cout as his assistant, there's there's a way of talking about this that I want to avoid, which is the classic, I don't want to sound like the guy that says... Uh, what do they know about the league? What do they know about English football and League One? Or not English football, but what do they know about League One football? I think there's a, a validity of sorts in that point, though, because of the situation that Southend are in. I can't imagine the current the current situation at the club, the circumstances around their start to the season, lending themselves to success for possibly for anyone, to be quite honest, but certainly in the short term for, for Larson and Cout. Uh, that's... They could be fantastic tacticians and man managers and the players could be so inspired about being managed by such well-known names and I could look really, really stupid. But um, I'm just not sure that's how it works at, at the situation that they're in currently. And I would be quite concerned, I think, for Southend just in terms of a relegation battle this season um, if they were to be appointed. But then again, I'd find it hard to get too excited probably about any manager's ability to, to take them out of the mire. So uh, an interesting story. David Ornstein, of course, one of the Athletics um, leading writers, someone we know delivers scoop after scoop. And this was um, certainly one relevant to us on The Athletic. They do sponsor us. And that means that if you haven't signed up to The Athletic already, then you can do so um, via a free trial and 50% off going forward. So with a 30-day free trial and then about uh, the price of a, a coffee or a pint perhaps per month, um, some excellent football writing on there. Michael Cox, David Ornstein, Plenty of EFL stuff as well, and the Not The Top 20 boys contributing too. So if you want to get involved with that and give it a go today, go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 and go and dive in to all that The Athletic has to offer. Let's move on to some more questions. Um, what have we got next? We've got a question from Tyler, which is sure to cause some debate, George. Top three managers in each division. How did you go about doing this? Did you uh, did you lean towards weighting it short term or long term? Because there's there's managers we've seen for ten years who maybe aren't performing that well this season. There's managers that are so new that they've only seen a bit of success. So yeah, far. it's a bit of nip tuck, I guess. I think it is. Yeah. Um, should I give you my my top three in the championship? Yeah, do. Shockingly, at number one, I have one of the greatest managers in the modern era uh, in the world, Sabri Lamucci. Yeah. Uh, no, um, Marcelo Bielsa, um, who I think, given who he's... I mean, there's no real need to explain it, I don't think. No, I don't um, think so either. Despite, I've got him as well. Yeah. Uh, and second, I've got Alex Neil, um, who has already um, won a promotion out of this league with Norwich in great style. He's of an age where he's continuing to improve and the way that he's continued to take Preston, um, you know, batting above where they should be is very impressive. And in third, I've got... Maybe a little bit of a, a <clears throat> I don't know, it's it's Lee Bowyer, where it may be wrong, but given what he's done in his short managerial career, taking over at Charlton last summer and the trajectory he's got that club going on, very few managers have done before. So he may not have the experience of, of lots of them. I'm sure Forest fans will be gutted that Mr. Lamucci isn't on there on my list, but just in terms of, of the trajectory he is going as a manager and the way that he's upset the odds so far, it's impossible to leave him out. Yeah, I also had uh, Bielsa and Neil, uh, but I also had Nathan... Je no, I didn't. I, I've also got Sabri Lamucci in there instead of, of, of Boya. I looked at him as well, of course. Uh, I'm just really impressed with, with what Lamucci has managed to do with this Forest team in a short period of time. Something that previous managers and quite a lot of them uh, have not succeeded in doing. And for me, uh, a... a a structure being put in place that has allowed them to be immediately competitive, um, to win games, uh, a lot of intangible stuff coming to the fore, um, well-disciplined, good structure, uh, good, uh, a sort of a way of playing that the players seem to understand and can execute. And I think those are all things that impress me in a manager and will re remain to be seen if he can, you know, maintain this automatic promotion push. If he can, then he will rightly go down as, as one of Nottingham Forest's best modern managers. So I've been really impressed with him so far. In League One, I've gone with Mark Robbins at Coventry. Um, a mixture of things here. The job that he's doing at Coventry, very, very good. Um, he's been there for a few years now and essentially 
it's been an upward trend throughout. Uh, you you cannot ask any more from a manager, especially in the league system we had we have, where when you go up leagues, it gets harder. Uh, and Coventry have continued to improve. They play a style of football that currently the fans might be a bit frustrated with. They were over seventy percent possession yesterday, lost against Tranmere, no cutting edge, etc., etc., no penetration. But you know, it's still. For me, quite an admirable way to, to try and play at this level um, and, and fairly easy on the eye. Uh, and also playing young players, developing young players, selling young players, all good things. So Robbins for me. I've also gone with Ainsworth, reasons you, you touched on when we talked about him a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and I went with John Coleman as well, just out of sort of pure respect for longevity and just wringing every last drop out of a, a, a squad and a, a budget as well, I suppose. So... Um, but it's tough in League One, isn't it? Isn't I think it? I think League One, and League Two are more difficult than than the rest. Um, I've gone for um, for Lambert at number one, who doesn't even make your three. He's not a manager I'm um, a particularly a fan of, but he's managed for most of his career at a higher level than this. And as soon as he's dropped into League One, he's he's taken over a team who you know they were preseason favourites or second favourites, but they're absolutely rampant in the league. And they're uh, he's proving maybe that he is a cut above this level. Uh, Ainsworth in second we won't say any more on him and then Nigel Clough in, in, in third nice. who again the, the work he's done at Burton he maybe hasn't always delivered elsewhere but um, but it often goes under the radar just what a good job he does so he's my third um, and I found League 2 really tricky yeah go on because so many managers who who you know in, in Daryl Clark in Paul Hurst who've come down who you have to have some kind of question marks over at the mm. moment uh, Clark maybe that's unfair on um but well, I didn't know what to do about Ryan Lowe, who's won yeah. one promotion in his one full season in charge so far, playing beautiful attacking football with some very good players. Yeah. And now, I mean, it's early in the season. We well, expect think- Plymouth to rise up the table, but you, you can't say he's absolutely smashing it there, right? No. Um, I mean, I've gone for Flynn, Mike Flynn at number one. I think it's, it's hard to argue against that. You won't be surprised here. He's also my number yeah, one. Yeah, I think it's impossible to, to argue against it. Um, Gary Bowyer at number at number um, two. Yeah. Who, given that the struggles of the other teams that they got relegated alongside are having this season, um, I think that just shows again how good he is at managing these teams at this level and how capable a pair of hands he is. And then you know, crew fans will be hoping to hear Mr. Artel's name next. But I think Matt Taylor. Um, <laughs> look, look what I've got. David Artel slash Matt Taylor. Nice. Because I think you kind of group them together right now, which I'm sure they wouldn't like. But I think I think that Taylor. It's easy to forget. That Taylor took over from Tisdale, from a you know, a guy who who was Exeter, who was everything, who ran everything at the club, and it was never going to be easy to take over from that. And he's made them better. Uh, and the way he carries himself, the way he talks in the media, he strikes me as someone who has all the attributes to manage at a much much higher level than he is now. Nice. Uh, Dan asked. Uh, I should add that I had all the same people, so I can't add much more for for League Two. I guess just to give David Artel a little a little boost. Um, one of the things that's impressed me most, most aside from um, putting together this team that, that are not necessarily taking League Two by storm, but who look like one of the best teams in the division, uh, it, it's, it's making that leap. Uh, we've spoken about it with a few different managers. You could certainly, um, you'd be right to say that Taylor's Exeter have taken a leap over the summer. Um, but every team, if you go into the season with the same manager and similar set of players to the season before, um, you, you want to see a progression, you want to see an improvement and it's not always forthcoming uh, and, and that's when things can get a bit stale and fans can, can turn a little bit and wonder whether they are progressing. Well, under Artel, crew have progressed, maybe slowly at first, but certainly taken a big leap over the summer. Um, he's added a lot of a, a lot of things that were missing um, somehow with, with his ability. That is solidity, that is much better game management. Um, he's improved some of the young players as well. So Artel for me. Uh, the next question was from Dan, I think, George. League One, League Two players who'd be decent punts for Premier League sides. Now, Michael also said, who's the player that people who don't know about the lower divisions should know about, which is a bit of a tongue twister. Um, I've sort of merged the two questions. And for me, this was, because we are talking about League Two and League One players and the Premier League is a, a big step up, was basically, if I was head of recruitment at a Premier League club, and I was obliged, if I had to buy someone from League 2, League 1, where would I be looking? Um, if you don't say Cameron Brannigan, I'll be disappointed and surprised. Well, I, I thought, I mean, my f- the first thing I've written down is just yellows, because there's, there's a few. There's a, there's a debate raging at the moment on, on Twitter about which team is better, not as a team, but person to person. 
compared to Appleton's team a few years ago, where you've got a lot of players now playing Premier League football. Remind um, us, Lundstrom. Lundstrom and Bulldog, the, the two key ones. Kemar Roof, um, of course, is now playing in the in the Belgian um, top tier, yeah. having having been at Leeds last season. Other people um, like Ledson. Ledson, of course, at Preston. Um, you know, Jake Wright did make that step up. Yeah. He's now back at Bolton. So Rothwell, Rothwell playing at playing at Blackburn. Um, so plenty of them. And I think that the same will happen with this team because it's a young team where a lot of players are coming through. Um, a few people are recently asking me about Rob Dickey. I think he is catching the eye of, of certain number crunches out there. Um, and I'd be very surprised if he's not playing at a high level very, very soon. Would you suggest More he good is news both, for Reading fans. <laughs> would you suggest he is both a good defender and a good progressive passer? I would, that, yeah. That's what seems to catch the I eye. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting because my one criticism of, of him before this season would be his tendency to look for that pass was quite frustrating because he never really pulled it off but um, he is now uh, fantastic at bringing the ball out of the back and he's a very good defender Cameron Brannigan you know um, incredible pedigree from his time at Liverpool and he's now I mean he's got seven goals this season he's he's not even necessarily a box mm. you know, he's a box to box at the most attacking midfielder so he is someone who's going to play at a lot higher level and then Shandon Baptiste is, is the one I mean he's the jewel he is um, I think quite a lot of people, when he pulled out of um, the um, Grenada squad to, uh, to to keep his England options open, and I commented on it, I think a lot of people thought I was joking, whereas actually I was being genuinely serious. I'm happy that he's done that because um, I think uh, from what I've heard, half of the Premier League um, are currently sending scouts to go and watch him when he's playing. Um, you know, this isn't a joke. He is someone who will be playing top-tier football at some stage if he can stay fit. So those are the three I had um, written down for Oxford. Um, a couple Gren- of more like... Grenada. Oh, I can't remember what your punchline is. It's horrific. I barely knew it. Yeah, there you go. Did you have anyone else for this or shall I, shall I take you to League 2? No, I had a couple more in League 1. Go on. Well, I just quite obviously the Peterborough trio. I mean, yeah. um, Ivan Tony. Uh, Moisa and Marcus Madison. I need you to be more specific because I had this thought as well. You, pick pick one. Who would you just, if you just, you're a Premier League team now, Tony. you had to buy one, you'd buy Tony, yeah. Yeah, so, so. yeah I think so. Um, and then, well, I've got two for Ipswich as well in, in Vincent um, Young and, and Wolfenden as well hmm. um, who are doing great things. They're, they're my League Oneers. Poor Flynn Downs. <laughs> Flynnadine. Um, <laughs> my, my only extra League Oneers because uh, I had similar ones to you really. I would like to keep an eye on the development of Mr. Kilgower or Kilgore at Bristol Rovers. I'd like a, a a Rovers fan to tell me how you say that um, he was flagged up by Ollie Walker uh, the other day our favourite League 2 sorry League 1 expert and uh, he looks very tidy he's having a, a, an excellent start to the season starred again on Saturday with another clean sheet for them uh, and Ola Sunday at Rotherham uh, he's he's an interesting case we spoke about him a month or so ago uh, marauding right back uh, comes from America but had moved from uh, from the States to Manchester United to be part of their academy instead of going to Duke University. So he's a really interesting character, he's an interesting story. Uh, and I think he's been a really impressive player for Rotherham this season. Uh, obviously, Matheson at Rochdale, the 16-year-old right back, seems a, a fairly obvious shout. But in League Two, look, if I had to buy a player from League Two, I'd want to, to do a fair bit of scouting. So I'd send my scouts to crew a lot, obviously. Um, forefront of my mind would be Perry and G, just because... In terms of position, in terms of his, his profile as a right back, his size as well, his physical attributes, um, they would be the sorts of things I would be strongly considering uh, as translatable to, to Premier League level as much as that is a huge leap. Um, I, but you'd also want to see Pickering, the left back. You'd want to see Wintle and Lowry in midfield um, as well as, as potentially Charlie Kirk. Although if, if Ngi has the physical uh, skills to translate to the Premier League, I think Charlie Kirk you would sadly put in the... Uh, in the opposite box uh, I would go to Forest Green to have a look at a couple of them to be honest they've they got such unusual recruitment policy and I'd want to just work out where they're where they're finding these guys how they're finding these guys Ebu Adams is really catching the eye in the last few weeks for them as a, a do-it-all central midfielder I'd go down to Colu. Uh, I would check out the, the new lad Poku uh, who they signed from non-league who's been getting a couple of goals a couple of assists already he's only 18 I think uh, and you never know, Courtney Senior might turn it on that day if you uh, if you were down there. Uh, he's a man who all the scouts will know already uh, from when he was 15, 16. He was very highly rated. Uh, I would have a look at Luther Wilding at Stevenage as well, um, just to complete the set. And I would uh, see who I fancied out of that. What are you thinking here, George? Anyone in League 2 that you'd want to take a, a, a closer look at? Um, 
We mentioned Bez Zabala already, um, who came in from Birmingham to Crawley and has immediately looked like he might be playing in the wrong league. Just 21 years old, uh, a fantastic left foot, um, you know, an eye for a goal, well, just a goal scorer off the left-hand side and, and a player who, who looks like he could progress to good things. Uh, Northampton fans have been very excited about Charlie Good at the back as well, who came in on loan last season from Scunthorpe and then has, has come on a permanent and... Um, fair to say that they all think they've got a gem of a player there. Not entirely sure why Scunthorpe were happy to to part ways with good. Um, and then Emmanuel Osadebi is another really funny one where he has come in from Cambridge in the summer. Um, Cambridge fans, I think fair to say, weren't too gutted to see him go. Uh, a 23-year-old uh, attacking midfielder. But he has been fantastic for Macclesfield so far. Um, so one to keep an eye on there because at that age, maybe just a bit of first-team football maybe needing to be the main man of the club um, because he's a totally different player now than he was uh, at Cambridge. George, Neil asked, I was wondering now that we're part of the way through the season, if you could amend your pre-season promotion predictions for each division, which ones would you change and to which club? I must admit, in the scramble to prepare for the podcast, I just left this one. So <laughs> I, I want to hear what you have to say. We don't need both of us answering it anyway because we have the same, obviously, a joint prediction. Yeah, so you I mean, tell me. I mean... The the obvious answer is loads. I mean, I'd I'd want to basically change every single one. But but but, but, the, but the key, I mean, in in the championship, Stoke is a is one where you know we had them in the top three or four, and they're not going to finish there. Um, we had Oxford struggling. I don't think they're going to struggle. But in League Two is kind of the key, where I think maybe we, we were just a bit lazy. Um, we saw the, the clubs coming down. Um, your Scunthorpes, your Plymouths, um, and maybe just assumed that given the managerial changes they were immediately going to turn around what had been a pretty poor 12 months and it hasn't been the case with the exception of Bradford um, and even if they were to kind of turn it around a bit um, I think we would have to look at that as being you know they're not going to be up in the top six or seven as we as we thought I don't think um, similarly with Mansfield we totally um, got got it wrong how big of an impact it would be having a, a rookie manager um, in charge and then on the flip side I think Crawley and Cambridge are two teams who we just looked at what they did at the back end of last season and maybe just assumed it was going to be a continuation of that whereas actually um, both managers deserved a bit more respect as did their summer business so I think we got not meant to slag us off on our own podcast I think, we, I think we basically just ballsed up League 2 um, <laughs> but we'll see where we are at the end of the season okay okay fine let's move on from that um, Pompey and Uganda this is a good question uh, one player from each division that you thought would have big seasons but have gone missing. I'm still trying to find out what Pompey have done with natural goalscorer John Marquis. I mean, we've got some Pompey questions coming up in a, in a bit, but that is an interesting point. Um, before the season, when we're going through transfers in the summer, there's always people that we mention that we think could take the league by storm and look like really good signings. Um, I think I talked quite a lot about Will Volks at, uh, at Cardiff, who... Not to say he's stinking the place out, but certainly not having as much of an effect on games as I thought he would in Warnock's system. I, I just saw him being a bit of a one-man wrecking ball, really, sort of appearing everywhere, both defensively and going forward. Um, and, and so far, I think it's fair to say he's growing into that role. Um, also, we kept being told that Charlie Adam was looking good in pre-season after I called him my least favourite transfer of all time. Uh, I don't seem to see much Charlie Adam at the moment, so I'm not sure what's happened there, but very disappointing. Um, who, who do you flag up for this one? I mean, Marquis um, is a well, pretty no, good just, just on the Marquis one, I mean, there's this isn't the first striker with a big reputation who's gone to Fratton Park in the last 12, 18 months who's flopped. So I'd probably say there's something wrong with... Uh, something runs a bit deeper here than just Marquis. Um you know, and I'm assuming that most of Berkshire listening to this is, is, would answer George Puskas as well. So, but the three I've got, um, I mean, in the championship, I'm going to say, even though he has shown some patches of form, I'm going to say Saeed Benrahma because mm -hmm. he's, you know, I said on Sky Sports News, he should be the best player in this division. And I, and I kind of stand by that. Yeah, he hasn't produced any output really he was coming back from an injury don't forget but he's you know he's played a lot of minutes this season um in a team that um have dominated for large swathes of the game and he hasn't scored a goal yet in the league um he just isn't really having the impact that he should have given that he was just so effective last season so i think that's mainly because i've set the bar so high for him but just remind ourselves 10 goals and 15 assists in yeah, the league last season and, and zero and zero so far this season i think that's right um so he's someone i need to see more of um, Elliot Embleton, um, I guess he, he has literally vanished. This isn't a vanishing where it's figurative. He has just disappeared. Mm. Um, and I think we both thought he'd have um, a big season 
coming up at Sunderland, he was a player that we thought fitted exactly what they needed in terms of becoming a more attractive team and creating more chances. I think I kept using the word thrust. <laughs> I really thought you he was going to give them some thrust. You often do. Um, <laughs> and then um, Alex Gilead at Scunthorpe, who the third one, I'd say, who, who came to the club with a reputation to be an exciting player who they could... You know, at 23 years of age, who, who could bolster their front line a bit, um, having caught the eye often at, at Bradford. I mean, that Bradford loan spell, I think, was, was the key part of his career so far, which was a couple of years ago. But um, again, he's been part of a really disappointing team so far for Scunthorpe. Yeah, for me, uh, can't argue with you. Uh, I was going to say maybe Dan Butler at Posh. Uh, we've watched him dominate the League Two playoff final from left back and thought that's going to translate to League One level. He, he moved to Peterborough almost immediately afterwards. And he, well, he, he's basically lost his place as as their number one left back to Fraser Blake Tracy, uh, who's the 24-year-old that they got from Kings Lynn in the summer. So, I mean, you know, it, it's early days. He has played a fair bit. He hasn't quite stood out to the same extent as he did. It's a different system, of course, different style of play. Um, but just the fact that he's lost his place to, to someone they signed from non-league doesn't reflect too well on, on Butler. Um, in, in League Two, uh, there's a couple, really. I mean, talk about... Ben Rama, another person we spoke about quite a lot on Sky on the transfer talk show that we did in the summer, was big Giovanni Brown uh, when he moved to Colchester. Uh, He's another who, uh, as far as I can tell, hasn't had a goal or an assist yet um, and who might have suffered an injury at some point but but has played a fair amount of minutes and uh, hasn't really... penalty as well. Yeah, hasn't really turned it on. I thought Scott Wilson might go to Oldham and score some goals, but he hasn't. Um, so there's a couple from League Two. Sorensen as well, who went to Carlisle on loan from Newcastle United, uh, hasn't really featured. So that's been a bit of a shame. Um, uh, here's a question from Peter. And how, I mean, the other one I was going to say is Harry Smith. <laughs> oh, okay. who, um, well, there's not a lot not to like about Northampton, isn't there, at the moment? Yeah, um, but he's... Uh, yeah, let's just say I think Cobblers fans uh, may not have been too impressed with what they've seen so far um, from Smith but fingers crossed he can turn it around well they weren't too impressed with our pre-season prediction of them not doing particularly well so at least that's one that we did get partially right um, <laughs> Peter I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this George Peter said given the analytics surrounding Nottingham Forest and the suggestion of overperformance, how significant are the less measurable areas of the game he's talking about team co- cohesion organisation desire being well briefed, etc. All the things I touched about when talking about Lamucci just a few moments ago. And for how long can they realistically cover up any deficiencies? should get this tattooed on me somewhere. Um, either the performances will change and they will maintain a good run of form or the performances and the numbers will stay the same and they'll, dro- and they'll drop off. I mean, everything you say there, team cohesion, organisation, desire, it's rhetoric for um, compensating for, for overperformance because if... For example, organisation was having a, a, a massively positive impact on um, the team itself. Then that would be reflected in the underlying numbers. So, um, yeah, n- not not for very long. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I was gonna. I think one of my notes there is a lot of that stuff should still be reflected in the numbers because a lot of that stuff translates to being a, a, a very good and dominant team and uh, and a way that we certainly think is valuable in terms of measuring that is with uh, is with the underlying numbers specifically the shot data so uh, i think everyone recognizes that intangibles and all that stuff the character of a team uh, and and the uh, a team's personality is hugely hugely important um certainly no one denying that but i think yeah your point that that is quite often reflected in the numbers can help as well um, and it's stuff that you can see and you can recognise, uh, of course, when you watch a team. Um, a couple of team-specific questions. Joe said, should playoffs or lower be considered a failure by Fulham if we weren't to finish in the top two? I'll take this one to start with uh, because I had a lovely coffee with Sammy James from Fulhamish and his nine-week-old puppy, Taffy. Nice, nice of you to ask me. Well, we didn't think that you'd add much. So uh, it was just me, Sammy and the puppy, Taffy. And um, I was talking to him about this because... I sort of, I guess my initial reaction was to think, oh, that seems a bit reactive. That seems a little bit over the top, um, if that is what Fulham fans think. And then I suppose, you know, you have to have expectations and it's all right for them to be high. I, my, my answer, which uh, sitting on the fence, I suppose, to some extent, but I think probably rings true, is it depends. If Let's say they miss out on the top two, they come third or fourth, which looks quite likely. It depends how that's come about. If they are like, let's say, Leeds last season, involved in a, a, a 
top group of three or four teams and they're clearly within that and there's clearly other good teams such as let's say West Brom and Leeds and Forest maybe then I think it's all right to come third and miss out narrowly if you if you've been right up there it shows that you're still a top team which is what's been expected um, but that obviously only two can go up if they come fifth or sixth and they're clearly off the pace and they're just quite a standard sort of strong former Premier League team with good players that isn't meshing well enough to be right at the top then of course I think there'll certainly be some question marks over I don't know squad makeup style of play Scotty Parker etc etc but um, I certainly wouldn't be one to say straight off the bat that third would be a failure um, but depends how it looks I guess what sort of tier they're in um, Blue Rickard asked about Birmingham City said how's Birmingham's rebuilding or has Birmingham's rebuilding over the summer been productive we spoke a bit about this uh, when we were in at Sky the other week for their game against Forest didn't we because we were talking about how the squad as much as they've added players like Villalba and Crowley who have who have looked good in, in certain games that the squad still looks quite uh, muddled doesn't it it's a bit of a mishmash what I would say is that I think that a, the, the squad looks better. I mean, it, it looks slightly stockpiled, you have to say. Um, but I think if you were a, a manager, um, given either the squad that Birmingham ended last season with or the squad today, a prospective manager coming in, I think you would be much happier coming into a club that had the options they've got now, especially going forward. I think that um, whilst I don't think that Sunic is going to be a uh, you know a, a massive uh, profitable transfer for Birmingham he's certainly someone who adds a, some steel and some quality in the centre midfield I think Crowley offers something they didn't have before as well Valalba certainly too Shea Adams is obviously the big loss in the squad um, and they need a keeper I mean I'll go and play in golf them if they want to because that'll improve the squad um, but yeah I, I think that I think I think that it definitely has. It looks a better squad. It looks more well-rounded squad. I think that the summer has been productive. I don't think Pep Clotet is going to be the man to, to to take them, you know, to get the best out of the squad. But whoever gets the job next, and I don't think it'll be that long until we find out, will certainly be in a better position than, than Gary Monk was last season. Yeah, I think I was just going to mention that uh, probably want to see how the next two or three transfer windows go um, next summer, uh, particularly see whether the club can maintain on an even keel that means doing all right this season of course you know uh, some of the fans very encouraged by that performance against Middlesbrough but there have been some concerning performances as well so personally I'm still on the fence as to how good this uh, Birmingham side is or otherwise um, but if we're talking about rebuilding a squad in terms of recruitment still a few transfer windows away for me it's not necessarily an issue having remnants from other squads but the very nature of Birmingham's last few years means that you've got like uh, who like players like Craig Gardner, Keefton Beld, Djukovic, um, uh, who have been there for, for quite a long time. Magoma, who have been there for a good few years, been part of a, a few squads. David Davis still there, of course. You've got the lads that were signed this summer. And then the some of the uh, the Brentford lot, I suppose I'd call them, that, that were signed by Harry Redknapp a few seasons ago. Colin and Dean as well. So it is a bit of a mishmash. I mean, it's not necessarily a terrible thing. Um, but I guess over the next few windows a a club that is doing things the right way would start to mold that into something a little bit more recognizable i suppose that would suit a specific style of play um chuck asked have peterborough got a magical algorithm they give to strikers to turn them all into goal machines it looks like it's a goal factory george is there something that something that you would know particularly about given recent <laughs> yeah um so I, i've written um, a, a, a piece for The Athletic which should be going out tomorrow morning so it should be going out Tuesday morning on Peterborough and um, their their track record of bringing through attacking players um, what they look for in strikers and I'm not going to tell you everything that I found out through speaking to uh, the manager some players um, speaking or well, indirectly speaking to the owner as well um, so make sure that you do subscribe using you know theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 um, but it's interesting because that that Peterborough are so conscious of this history they've got and are so proud of it that they use it in their in the way they sell um, the club to these strikers, and they even use. I mean, this is something that really caught my eye from from speaking to them to people at the club is that they use the the transfer fees that they're paying for the players as a kind of confidence mm. restorer. So 
completely different to Moisa being nervous coming off the back of not playing football for nine months and having a club record feast on him. They're saying to him, don't worry about it. We know how good you are. This is why we're doing it. That coupled with having a manager in Darren Ferguson who's happy to play two up top with a 10, um, which not many managers are going to be willing to do, and an onus from, from Darren McAntony, where I think he is much happier having a team losing, trying to play attacking football than he is having one um, stubbornly trying to grind out results all just fits into this model. I mean, the important thing to remember is that they do spend money on these players. Mm. They have financial clout that other other League One clubs won't have in order to land them. Yeah, but I was going to use that as a positive here, that Definitely. they're willing to spend money Absolutely. in order to make money. Yeah, yeah. But also, and this is crucial, they don't, you know, they hold their nerve on the occasion that it doesn't work, mm. which, you know, we focus on all the good ones, Gale, Asombolonga, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there have been a few that haven't paid off. And it's about holding that nerve and believing in it because generally, you know... <laughs> They've already, what do they buy Tony for? 350k or something? They'll get. More than that, I think. They they will get four or five million quid for him, probably asking for more at this stage, but that seems realistic. Issa, less of a sure thing at this stage, but if he continues to finish in that way, then again, they're going to make a lot of money. So it's trust, it's opportunity. It's holding your nerve and it's having a plan. And those are the sorts of things we bang on about quite yeah. a lot, I think. Tom, um, Tom Nichols crying into his cornflakes here. but uh. <laughs> Cornflakes. Um, Max said, the League One table since Graham Coughlin took over sees Rovers in second. Um, uh, he tweeted this. We retweeted it yesterday. So check out our timeline if you want to see this table. Uh, it is interesting and it was certainly a surprise to us. And I think a lot of people who saw the table that, that Bristol Rovers were in second since Coughlin took charge. Now, the usual caveat supply is obviously four teams went down and three teams went up. So this is a, a table of essentially, what's that? My maths is so bad, I've, I've, I've bottled this. 17 teams, let's say. Um, but they're below Sunderland and above Oxford, Coventry, Portsmouth, Peterborough, Doncaster, Fleetwood in that time. So clearly really impressive. His question is, given Rovers had another good result on the weekend, they're in fourth, I think. Do they need to adapt, George, in January to be less of a smash-and-grab team if they are to challenge for promotion? Or should it be business as usual so long as it continues to produce results? Business as usual, 100%. Um, This is case in point here of a manager who is going to be threatened by being massively the victim of his own success. The fact that we are sitting here on the 14th of October talking about the need for... Um, Rovers to ensure that they're challenging for promotion given that that wasn't even a thought six weeks ago shows that ambitions need to be or expectations just need to be tempered a little bit here Um, you know if somehow Graham Coughlin can can get Bristol Rovers snuck into the playoffs at the end of the season that'll be a massive achievement for them it'll be better than anything Daryl Clark had ever done it'll be coming off the back of a season where they had to fight off relegation so what they're doing at the moment is absolute A+. plus. I think if we did report cards now for each team in the league, they would be at least first or second for, for, for how we'd rank them in terms of pre-season expectations compared to what they're actually doing on the pitch, especially given they have a rookie manager as well. I really, really hope this isn't going to be one of those where suddenly Bristol Rovers are in ninth or 10th place in March or February and, and fans are getting on his back saying they should be challenging higher up because they were earlier in the season. Keep doing what you're doing. And if and when the bad run comes... Um, Remember where you came from. Remember how, how what the expectations were at the start of the season. One more serious one before we get on to our fun questions and topics. Uh, two people asking about Pompey. Freddie, after Pompey's poor start to the season, what does the team have to do to improve performances? What tactical changes would make the team better? And or should Kenny Jacket be sacked and replaced with a different manager? Will ask, can you see Kenny Jacket surviving? Also, after Pompey being your number one tip this season, where has it all gone wrong? Clark and Lowe leaving, or is it something else? Just to address the Clark and Lowe thing, you're going to miss players with that quality, but if you talk about, well, their positions, essentially, Pompey's defensive record is fine this season, to be honest. It's, 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 it's all right. They conceded three in that crazy game against Coventry, um, and they conceded two against Burton, two in the first five minutes, which were fairly sort of unfortunate, I think, to say the least. But their defensive record's fine. So when they miss Clark, maybe they miss his his ability to progress the ball from the back and, and to play accurate passes at pace and get the attack moving because it's it's a completely dimen- one-dimensional attack that seems to be the issue, at least to my eyes. And I watched that game on Saturday. We had a quite high hopes for Pompey Gillingham uh, on the Quest show and it was an absolute stinker. Um, and in terms of low, like... 
Marcus Harness, he did pick up an injury, so he hasn't played every game, but as a direct replacement for Lowe, he looks like their best player to me, certainly in the attacking third of the pitch. So it's hard for me to say that that's exactly what the issue is. Um, that There's a staleness about the play and you watch them and you wonder how are they going to create chances apart from doing the old Sunderland from the last 18 months, which is hope that our players are a bit better than the other players and maybe they'll do something good individually. Like, it's really grim. And we mentioned Marquis earlier. It, has he lost it or are they just literally not creating him any chances? What's Pittman doing in this team at the moment apart from scoring the odd pen? How are they creating chances seems to be the issue for me. And I don't know how easily that turns around. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, my hot take for the day is that Portsmouth are going to be fine and we'll be, we'll be batting for promotion in about two months' time. Um, the, the way the fixtures have fallen haven't, haven't, hasn't helped them at all. They've only played 10 games so far this season. If, and it's a massive if, if obviously I'm not suggesting they will, but if they win their next three games, they'll be in seventh spot or whatever. So they're not far off it. And if you actually read through the recent results in the league, going back to um, the, uh, the three-all draw with Coventry, uh, a one-all draw away at Blackpool, that's a decent point. A two-all draw at home to Burton, you know, it's not ideal, but there, there are worse teams out there. A one-nil defeat at Wickham. Wickham are going to be the best attacking team in the league this season. Um, a, a beating Bolton at home, going to Doncaster, winning two-one, and then this dire game on Saturday, uh, where they drew nil-nil. So they are still hard to beat. The football itself is quite clearly not um, good, and it's not playing into the hands of. Well, it's not. It's not basically what the fans want to see, given the attacking talent they have. However, I do think this is slightly out of context given the league position because of the way that some fans lost faith in Kenny Jacket last season. I don't know whether or not Jacket will still be at the club anytime soon, but I don't think it really matters. I think whoever takes it on, this is a good squad and a good club to take over who have enough about them to, to, to be okay. And you know, the next trip is probably the best game they could really have going to AFC Wimbledon. Um, I mean, South End would obviously be better, but uh, they seem to be a team who are happier on the road than they are at home at the moment. And um, if they can get a convincing win there and somehow find a way, I mean, whether it was Jacket or, or whoever um, choosing to, to stop par these strikers, um, yet again, it's proving difficult to find a way to make it work. Um, but I think Pompey will be okay. Right, we're moving on to our final section. This is catering to all of you who didn't want to send in serious questions, but wanted to pick our brains on the lighter side of life. Uh, David asked... Uh, which manager would win a Royal Rumble in the EFL? And Squeeze East said, if all 72 managers were in a Royal Rumble at the moment, who is eliminated next? So somehow, two Royal Rumble-related questions. You're a strange bunch, aren't you? Uh, George, we'll start with who would win the Royal Rumble out of the EFL managers. Uh, who did you go for? The Royal Rumble thing, is it coming up soon? Is that why people are talking about them? But uh, I, it, I don't know. Not, in, a, not in a wrestling of, guy. In terms of who it, I used to be, weirdly, when I was younger, before I realised that there was actually football you could watch. Um, I would say Michael Appleton, unsurprisingly, would win Shock. it. But Carl Fletcher, rumoured to be taking over. What a segue that is. Rumoured to be taking over at Leighton Orient in the next 24 hours as their new manager. And I think that he would, have, he would uh, make a case to be... Um, there towards the end of the Royal Rumble. In terms of who be first to be eliminated, something about Mark Sampson. He's just he just seems quite wet. So yeah, fair enough. What if <laughs> sorry, I said sorry, Mark? What about Slaven Bilic for the Royal Rumble winner? I feel like behind the eyes, you're not sure what's going on there, and he could really go for it. Uh, or, or Dino Mamria, just for pure muscle mass. I reckon they're both all fart. Muscle mass. Yeah. Appleton. I mean, I think Mamre is bigger than Appleton. No, he's not, mate. No, he's not. I love Appleton more than the next man. You love him more than me. But I spent the day with him the other day, and trust me, Dino Mamre bigger than him. In fairness, he did say. I mean, this was a year ago. He had a shoulder issue, which meant he couldn't, um, you, you know, bench as much. as Still he used to, a so. very large, muscly man, but less so than Dino, I would say. Or maybe Dino just makes the most of it in terms of tight clothing. Let's move on, because my my first to be eliminated, my first thought, Lee Johnson, if I'm honest. And you know I respect Lee Johnson hugely as a manager, but he is very small. And I am also a small person, and I know how sort of tricky that can be in a, in a fight scenario. So... Uh, Lee Johnson, I'm not sure he would last that long. Um, also, Steve Cooper, something about his demeanour just makes me think not much of a scrapper. 
So he's going to be up there as well. Guys, let us know what you think at NTT20Pod. Who would win a Royal Rumble out of the EFL managerial pool? And who would be first out We're of delighted the Royal... to yeah, announce a new partner of the podcast in WWE, uh, which is exciting. So you'll see much more of that as the season goes on. Uh, also, Squeeze East did ask, would you rather deal with one hippo-sized rabbit or five rabbit-sized hippos? I'm not sure what what sort of threat a rabbit-sized hippo would, would pose. So I'm not sure... I, I, I would definitely means. take on the five smaller options. What does he mean by deal with? Well, I think he's he, dealing with it. Squeezy's all he can think about is fighting battles, right? And that's what he's asking. Okay, but is it dealing with it like get I, it get it in that like cage, or is it dealing with it like kill it? Well, I think it's it's going to try and kill you, so you should probably try and kill it. I think if, if I'm dealing with it like getting rid of it, just like getting out of it would be one. But if I'm trying to fight them all, probably the five. Fine. This is the lowest point of my career right now. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a few different options for that. Uh, three P's in a podcast said, what do you hate most about the first 30 minutes from when you open your eyes in the morning? Very good question, that. Um, my girlfriend loves to snooze. So I would have to say every time it's another alarm when I think that's the alarm done, I'd say. For me, it's the prospect of hydration. So like I wake up really hydrated every morning. Not really sure why, because I do try and drink a lot of water. But also really dehydrated. I think I meant to say there. You, sure. You don't wake up hydrated. That no. means that means that'd be, that'd mean you're like you've got a drip. Sure. Just a slip of the tongue. I wake up very dehydrated. <laughs> but then the issue I have is, as you know, I like black coffee a lot, and that makes you even more dehydrated. So in theory, what I've been told is, before I have my two to three cups of black coffee, I should hydrate myself first and that, it's just a bit it's a mountain to climb so your, in the morning your worst thing about when you wake up is having a drink of water pretty much yeah i mean if you simplify it like that it sounds stupid but yep. i think i'm sure there's a lot of guys out there and girls who respect and probably recognize what i'm saying here the thought of having to drink like a liter or a pint of water and then have a just coffee. having to get rid of that really nasty morning breath is your worst part i don't suffer from that i've got um, immaculate breath wise throughout um throughout every well, moment of the day you've got you've got like a minty water drip keeping you hydrated through the night is Correct. That what's happened? <laughs> okay Correct. um harvey said how natural this was nice how natural did you find the transition from mates on a podcast to appearing on national TV? And what are your fondest memories since starting the pod? Keep up the great work, lads. I mean, now. let's not pretend that we just eased straight into it, shall we? Because along the way, there's been lots of things that we've had to sort of learn. Yeah, I would say, I mean, given that we no longer speak away from the microphones, that's been a difficult transition. No, I mean, it's been, I think sometimes, um, you know, we have to remind ourselves how lucky we are to be doing what we're doing um and in terms of fond memories loads of stuff i mean i think every time you've ever been asked to do anything in, in the wider media has been great i think um seeing how popular our our kind of pre-season prediction ta- tables were this year was kind of mind-blowing mm. um in terms of, of where we've got to and i think just keeping up our you know relationship with some of the the early listeners is also great um so yeah all really good um in terms of how natural did you find the transition from mates on a podcast if you ever watch us on tv and we're standing up um and look at my legs they are always really really wobbly so that would suggest not very natural yeah you've struggled with legs and i've always struggled with hands and arms like what do i do with them where do i put them i feel like the more we do the better it gets but it's still there lingering isn't it Mm. and uh at any point, you might fall over. At any point, I might turn into some Italian man just gesticulating um, wildly. But no, I'd like to echo everything you said that was nice. And I'm going to try not to cry right now. Uh, last but not least, Phil said, who's the player or manager you'd most like to have on the podcast who you've yet to meet? Now, that last bit was key because I just love Tom Kearney so much that I would love to have him on the podcast. But as we know... We met him at the FSF Awards, another great memory that we've shared together uh, in our in our Not The Top 20 pod journey. And you can currently vote for us in oh, yeah. them. You can, no, you can nominate us. Nominate us in the FSA Awards. And I think last year we decided we weren't going to ask people to do that because we had done it the year before and we weren't nominated. So this year, again, if you, if you could take a second just to go um, to the FSA website and nominate us for Best Podcast, um, we would be really happy. I also really like driving around the country, going and watching EFL games with you during midweeks. That has been a real nice addition to the Mm. schedule this year. We've got a few more lined up. If anyone's going to Coventry Fleetwood in a few weeks' time, 
let us know because we're going to be around for some beers beforehand and we would like to possibly have, afterwards and possibly afterwards I hear be, great things about Birmingham nightlife so well after our karaoke night in Leeds there's there's it's got a lot to live <laughs> up to that's for sure George a player manager you'd most like to have on the podcast I mean Bielsa is a boring but obvious answer um, what, with his translator yes well, obviously um, I did uh, a level Spanish so I could, give it, I could give it a go um, but I would like to have a series of videos which is us Drinking different types of coffee with Gabriel Chioffi. <laughs> um, like a quick 30 second one, having a, an espresso, um, a nice longer um, coffee where we turn up a little bit late uh, for, for a latte and just different variations of coffees with, with, with Chioffi would be my, um, my ideal. I would like to sit down with Nathan Jones for a while and just really, really dig deep. I think that would be excellent. Guys, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to everyone who contributed questions. Um, they did so on Twitter at NTT20Pod. So if you are on Twitter, but you don't follow us and therefore couldn't contribute to this podcast, that's a shame. And there's a simple way of rectifying that. Give us a follow. We are the same username, NTT20Pod on Instagram as well. Be great to see you on there. And yeah, we're going to be on Sky on Friday night. Uh, previewing all sorts of stuff ahead of the weekend. Um, there'll be a betting show later on in the week as well. Quite a good weekend for us, despite most people pausing for international break. We, we break. We managed to pick some winners on the weekend, so that was um, well received. And uh, we hope that you have a great week. And uh, we'll speak again soon. <laughs>